When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends. Post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Voice Hacks podcast. I am very excited about my guest today. I have wanted to interview him for a long time. And today's guest is Enrico DiLorenzo. And he's the vocalist of Hideous Divinity, who some of you might know, especially because they have an upcoming North American tour on the books. And also, but the most fascinating thing, the thing I'm most excited about as a vocal nerd is he is a medical doctor and uh, an audiology and phonology expert, right? I believe that I've read that you refer to yourself as a phonologist. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh Phonologies, phoniatrics, uh, phoniatrician. I never know how to call me since we have this uh, uh, field in uh, in Europe. Uh, when I'm uh, in US, usually they refer to me as a laryngologist, but it's not quite the same because I am a doctor, a medicine doctor, specialized in human voice and human communication. Phonologist also implies the study of vocal phonations. How are we producing the sounds that we're producing? And I've I've read that you've studied quite a bit on exactly that, how we are producing the sounds that we're making, particularly in extreme vocals. And what's cool for the audience, they might not know, but I love your Instagram. I love that as a doctor, you literally can just take your endoscope and make an Instagram video of yourself phonating extreme vocals. What kind of vocals do you do as a vocalist? How would you classify the sounds that you make with your band? So uh, with Hideous Divinity, I am uh, uh, an extreme singer. So what uh, I do is uh, essentially growling and screaming. I, I've never been one of those who invents new names for what's already out there. I started singing uh, in a black metal band when I was uh, 16 and it was screaming. 
and growling. I am still talking about screaming and growling. I do not see the necessity of uh, invent new names, new classification. I always receive these mails from people asking me, um, can you do grounding, guttural, uh, fry scream, false call script? Okay, guys, enjoy yourself, sing, growl, scream. That's the point. Yes, the art of it. Being a doctor myself, uh, I'm used to a sort of uh, laryngeal fetishism. Mm. A lot of people is more interesting uh, in uh, in the larynx more than the voice, and I, I and I do believe that being a doctor working on an artist, I have to be focused on art. So, but again, wow. to uh, answer. Yeah, <laughs> if we forget uh, the, the main point of our activity, we are not serving art. And uh, as a phoniatrician for artists, I have to think about voice. And the voice I'm using when I sing is uh, extreme voice, growl and scream. That's what I'm all focused on. Mm -hmm. This is really fascinating because a lot of people with your level of knowledge and research and education about the larynx would be in that, you called it laryngeal fetishizing or, uh, or something yeah. like that. that. I liked that a lot because I, I see that a lot in lessons because I don't have the knowledge that you have, but I do try to let people know roughly what movement is happening and perhaps that explains the reasons why you shouldn't make certain sounds, which would make certain movements, etc. I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but then people do start focusing a little bit more on that than the actual art of the phonating. And um, that's interesting that you want people to focus on their art. That's so important, right? Because people get so in absorbed into the technique, I think. It's good to be focused on technique, to, to have a lot of your brain focused on technique, but you have always to keep in mind that this is just an instrument to do, to do something different. I'm not saying not I'm not saying that a, a vocal teacher or a vocalist should not know physiology and the physiopathology of uh, human artistic voice. But uh, again, this is just a tool. Knowledge is a tool for instinct to to do something more. That's the reason why we're singing. Well, actually, I started as a singer, of course. I was 16 when I started doing growling and screaming. And then I decided to study medicine when I discovered that there was a peculiar field of medicine focusing on voice more than larynx. Of course, I immediately put a probe into my nose to understand what I was doing <laughs> because it was uh, 2010 and I still had in, in my mind the, the question, the question you have been asked and I've been asking every singer and the extreme singers has been asked, how can you do it? The how. <laughs> Does it hurt? How? And then I wanted to know how. That's why I started studying this field from a, a scientific point of view. But again, if uh, we study it, it's not to turn a tiger into a kitten. Okay, but, uh, right. The opposite. <laughs> so you did do some clean singing. And do you still do, do you have a set of 
warm-ups or singing routine that you do to maintain your instrument? Even though you largely perform harsh vocals, do you do any clean singing or anything like that to warm up or prepare? No, just for myself. Mm-hmm. I like to sing. Uh, I'm not as good as I am uh, in screaming, actually, <laughs> but I really enjoy it. So uh, I like to sing in my clean voice for for myself. I have fun. I record something. And I used to sing in a rock band in Italy, an Italian industrial rock band. Oh, that's cool. Really nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's actually the first time I put a probe in my my nose to do a video clip for one of our songs. It was nice. I do not use clean singing as a warm-up. Warming up, I use some kind of low-energy supraglottic phonations. Okay. And some overtone singing, because uh, more than uh, warming up the larynx, I usually prefer to warm up the brain, so to focus my attention on the management of uh, overtones Ah. and harmonics. That's actually the only tool that we have to do some kind of pitch in our voice. We have no real pitch when we growl and when we scream, but we can move. Yes. Just moving yes. on the overtone. So that's why I prefer to train my inner ear working on overtone and then do some. Ah. This kind of low level, low energy phonation that is really helpful because this kind of soft supraglottic phonation makes you produce a lot of good mucus. I, I kind of have a publication on it. <laughs> I have a paper uh, on this uh, soft supraglottic. I've read that you've been a part of some awesome studies. One study that I look at all the time, but I didn't know that you were in it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They forgot to mention. (laughs) Actually, not not my colleagues. uh, We always mention each other. But when it passed from specialized publication to mainstream Mm -hmm. uh, uh, publication, they just put a couple of names and uh, they were so excited to talk about extreme metal by doctors, they, they forgot that there was uh, an extreme metal singer and doctor. Yes. <laughs> and the lyrics is mine. That, oh, wow. So it's your lyrics in the videos. Oh, that's so yes, great. <laughs> so, so this is, uh, I've seen some of the videos from one of the studies you did with Dr. Zdebsky. Um, Zdebsky, yes, yes. Christoph. And great man. It's that I was so I was like blown away. I was like, oh, he was part of that. I know this study. I, I actually have seen these videos. I know this well. <laughs> that was a funny story because Mia Izdebski, we studied growling and screaming with an high-speed camera. That is something that takes uh, uh, five thousand frames per second. Mm-hmm. So th- that was the first time actually showing the kind of vibration of the mucosa and the larynx, we found out something very special. What we hear during the growl, this idea or multi-layered sound is actually what happens in the larynx. We have false vocal folds, arytenoid caps, aryepiglottic folds, mm-hmm. true vocal folds, all vibrating together. Yes. And the fantastic things is that every one of these elements vibrates with 
different sets of sounds at the same time. Yes. So we have different structure vibrating together and each one produced at least two sounds. That's why we have this multi-layered sound. Funny things, nowadays we talk about layer on voice, layers on voice during the recording. We don't need, we just have a multi-layered sound in the layering. We already have we a multi-layered sound. Sometimes <laughs> I feel as though when we are layering harsh vocals, a person who has really good substantial amount of distortion like yourself that's engaging all of these tissues, I feel like when we layer it, it begins to turn to mud. If the person is actually a good harsh vocalist, they are producing a sufficient amount of distortion and they don't need the layers. I totally agree. And I have nothing against layers, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think that once you are in studio, everything is legit. Yeah, mo most th things that I've been on will probably have some layers of harsh vocals, but a lot of times I try to talk the guy out of it <laughs> because yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm making just, just enough distortion and, yeah. and that they, like, as you mentioned, we've got, like you said, the vestibular folds, the areopiglottic folds. I feel like when I'm doing it, I can feel things happening around the soft palate and the uvula as mm -hmm. well. Although I know that's not quite as easy to observe. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is actually the eye amount of airflow. Mm -hmm. We have a, a very huge airflow during uh, the, the surrogate phonation, every kind of surrogate phonation. So you can feel the movement on the soft palate and uvulas because it's actually blown out. Once I put a camera in the mouth of a girl, mm -hmm. making her uh, growling, and you could see the uvula <laughs> yes, around it. Yes, so by supraglottic phonation, so you're talking about sounds we are making with things above the glottis? Above the vocal folds. Yes, okay. Exactly. exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes. With the, with the stuff that is above. above There's the a lot of folds. stuff above. There is. And, yeah. and I noticed, you know, because in our true folds, we don't really have a tactile sensation, touch sensation. You can't mm -hmm. be like, I'm touching exactly. my folds. I'm opening my folds, even though we're doing that. Whereas I feel that these supraglottic tissues, I can feel very clearly touch sensation, yes. tactile sensation yes, yes. across them. Yeah, you, we have to consider that larynx and everything we use to talk and to sing and to scream as well, in the beginning was developed for swallowing. Mm. And the larynx is a system not to suffocate when you swallow. Mm -hmm. Because through vocal folds, vestibular folds and epiglottis close the trachea mm -hmm. and then the esophagus opens. So you can push down the food without breathing it. Mm -hmm. That will lead to death immediately. And then we adapt the larynx for phonation, the magic, the depth on the true vocal folds, making them able to produce one sound is something really, really, really magical. Yes, There's it is. No other way to, yes. to tell it because we are all fascinated by producing multiple sounds with the larynx, but we always forget that we have an incredible instrument in our throat able to produce one sound and it is something really rare in nature we are probably the only one uh, uh, mammals able to do that when the dog barks is not woof it's woof, woof, 
Yes. The cat is meow. And we can do ah, uh, just one pitch. Yes. And it's incredible. But the other thing that characterizes the vocal folds is that we have no sensibility on them. There's no touching sensibility. Otherwise, we will not speak because touching them, one each other, would be some kind of discomfort. So we will not speak. But all the other structure in the larynx are super, super sensible because it's a, a, an alarm system yes, yes. that has to, to be turned on when food takes the wrong direction. That's why when you begin studying growling and screaming, if you push too hard, you have a terrible discomfort. Okay, it's a good discomfort, you're pushing too hard, but when you can manage the proper techniques, you say it right, you still have a lot of sensibility. You can actually tell yes. what's happening in your larynx when you growl, because um, those structures are more sensible than uh, vocal folds in a different way, of course. Yes, they are. I call them, them a bit hypersensitive. Mm -hmm. It was blowing my mind because I've said this almost exactly the way you said it to several of my vocal students, because I'm always trying to explain to them, well, it's easy to go hoarse when we speak loudly. There's this music conference I go to in the States every year called NAM. By the third day of NAM, People, no, usually by the second day, people are coming up to me, Mary, is there anything oh. I can do? You know? <laughs> and I'm like, unfortunately, it's too late now. You know, just you can stop talking. <laughs> I can't stop talking. Well, uh, it's just going to get worse, you know, because they're just speaking loudly over the noise of the conference. It's a music conference. So there's people oh. playing instruments everywhere and they try to regulate the decibel volume, but it's never worked. So people are hoarse, but that's, again, the lack of tactile sensation. Because if we could actually feel those slamming together like that, oh my, we would never scream in an emergency. One of the primary needs that yeah. we do need to be able to do the bad kind of scream if someone's exactly. robbing you or attacking you. The other tissues are quite hypersensitive. So many of my vocal students, the techniques that vibrate the vestibular folds more, they will mm -hmm. start to hold back a little bit at first because it is sort of like your fight or flight being like, ah, don't, uh, you know, the, the feeling of the sensation of the vestibulars mm -hmm. is so like alarming at first. It's quite safe. It doesn't make people hoarse, but it's really, really alarming. I think most people have a hard time getting used to that. Of course, we have to tell the good sensation from the bad ones because if you're feeling pain if you're feeling the severe discomfort you're probably pushing too hard so you are activating pain receptors that are different from the tactile but if you feel a massage in your larynx you are working right i always say the same phrase to everyone extreme vocals are like sex if it hurts you're doing it wrong <laughs> that's it's so true though it doesn't hurt but it has a lot of sensation and that is yeah, a, yeah, get, yeah. A, a little getting like sex <laughs> Once again. exactly right it doesn't hurt <laughs> but it has a lot of sensation right i like that you call it a massage you know i thought that was yeah. very cool because I hadn't thought of it that way either. And I think that the sort of oscillations of the tissues, that's much more of a way to describe it. In the videos I've seen of you doing it 
on Instagram. And now that I know that I've seen you in the other videos from the study, it looks like most of the sounds you're making, your true folds are open and they're not really making much contact. They're sitting loose. And yeah. is that the primary phonation that you use? Do you ever do any, a lot of what I I have people doing or what they want to do, whether whether I have them doing it or not, is compressed folds phonations. Do you ever make any compressed phonation? Yeah, the compressed phonation is what, uh, for example, has been called uh, fry scream. Other didactics cultures call this pressed voice. There's a, a lot of name out yes. there. What I do, a lot of people call it false, false vocal force scream. Yes. I know what they refer to, but um, I saw that video. No, it's not uh, that kind uh, of approach. Uh, let's say that we have two main approach for growling and screaming. One uh, based on uh, closing everything and working on turbulence. So it's when we have... Okay, yes. that is something that has a lot of pros and a lot of contras. The pros is that you have a lot of duration of your phonation. Mm -hmm. You can yes. do a very long growl. The contras is that it's very quiet. So you're gonna require a microphone in order to have it really powerful. You cannot avoid a certain amount of the mage of the vocal folds because your subglottic pressure is very high. It's very high. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is dangerous, but you have to know the limits of the technique you're using. If you're doing this kind of... Uh, compressed, fry, call it well, whatever. But if you are pushing the vocal folds all together, of course you're gonna have something very stable, very long in time, but flavorful and potentially dangerous. The technique that I use the most, because I use both actually, is based on keeping your vocal folds open so that a lot of airflow pass through yes. the true vocal folds, and then you can activate uh, the Bernoulli effect, that is uh, the effect that makes airplanes fly, oh. doors slam, yes. and your vocal folds and the world larynx phonates. So when the airflow passes through the irregularity of our tube, that is our larynx, it started to move and attract all the folds in the larynx, and then we generate the sound. So as you saw in the videos, the vocal folds stays essentially open during this phonation, and the subglottic pressure is very low. Minimal, so yeah. you have a very powerful sound, but kind of short. With this kind of approach, you can last seven seconds. Then you have to switch to the compressed one. So once again, I use the technique that was most common during the 90s, we can call it the native growl. <laughs> but, okay, but there was a lot of exemption. So uh, when you growl in full power, everything open, you can last less, but it's of course uh, uh, more uh, powerful. You have to know the limit uh, and the pros and the contrast of what uh, you do. 
for sure it's less related with damage of the vocal folds, at least of the border of the vocal folds, but it still can lead to severe damage of the vocal folds if you close your larynx while pushing all this air outside. Yeah. If I growl on full power, I have a lot of movement. If I close the vocal folds on this stream, it's like a dam is gonna explode. You have to control what you do. There are two different approaches, yeah. are both valid. Of course, I prefer mine because- Of course, <laughs> Because of it's course. mine. <laughs> but mm -hmm. once again, you can do whatever you want at, uh, as long as you understand what you're doing and and the risks associated, right? Yes, and you take care of your instrument. Well, I uh, this is exactly how I, I I approach it with the people that I teach. The biggest risk I see with compressed fold screaming because I was open fold always for like ten years, mm -hmm. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. one day at band practice, even though you can tell my folds are incredibly dense with how low my voice is. But so it's e it's fairly easy to compress them w with the type of voice yeah. I have, which is not the case with like if I have a very high voiced female client, we're looking at really teeny tiny folds. It's really a lot harder to compress them. Um, I feel, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's just not it's not it's so much work on the muscles. And the biggest problem I see is. So I'll get clients who have been compressing their folds for years. This has happened to me too as well. They've just been doing it. That was their natural scream. They don't, you can't, as we talked about, you can't feel your folds. So you're not really aware. Are they open? Are they closed? If you just naturally got it. What I see is tension yeah. dysphonia a lot. So we'll start to see muscle tension dysphonia from just the repeated, like holding that compressed position long-term with no relief, like with no muscle stretches or anything to relieve that you know that's I, I don't know if you see that but uh, a, a lot of time actually a lot of time it's pretty common actually especially uh, after uh, a repeated repeated gigs like a tour sometimes my patients come to my office with uh, some uh, uh, muscular dystonia in the vocal folds so they talk like this a really breathy voices and uh, it's usually more related with the pressed screaming let's call it this way but also with the, the other techniques uh, a lot of time uh, i can see people with the larynx stuck in the lower oh, position wow. so my, they enter my office doctor i have a problem uh, i just finished my tour and then i got this voice and i can't move from that because mm -hmm. we have uh, an over contraction of the depressor of the larynx the strap muscles but the next step, if they keep it for too long, is that we have a dystonia of the strap muscles. So the larynx jump up in the upper position. And you can find a lot of time, male singers, after a wow. tour of growling voice, talking like that. And this is really hard to fix. So prevention, as always, is better for everyone not for me i earn more money from uh, curing you from fixing you than preventing so uh, i'm talking against my interest this is true though it's like it's a blessing and a curse a lot of the people i teach lessons to are very envious of the 
small percentage of people who can just make some of these sounds without any coaching or whatever. There, Because there is a small percentage, right? Just like an athlete, there's always people who can just do something, you know? And, um, yeah. But at the same time, I always tell them, yes, but then they're not going into it armed with some tools and some preventative things. And if they aren't maintaining this musculature, then that's, again, when they'll go to you and then to me to get exercises and all of that, or a speech language pathologist, because they are going to probably have a lot of problems just from like basically doing it unmaintained. It's not the technique itself. It's not like it makes immediate hoarseness. It's like an advanced athlete. Yeah, yeah. There's a huge difference between playing a gig yeah. each month or playing a full month of gigs. It's completely different. A lot of younger singers, I can tell it because I'm old, a lot of young uh, young singers or um, beginners, they every time they sing is a huge rock and roll party. So they sing like hell, maybe wonderfully, but you can tell just by looking at them, they're working too much. Maybe in the right way, but simply too much. And then after the show, they start drinking, smoking, speaking. And uh, by the end of the night, that's something that maybe four o'clock, five o'clock, they just come yeah. home and the next day, they're voiceless. But okay, it's not a problem. I'm going to have a gig in the next two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. But if... They are lucky, and if you are really good, maybe they have just, you know, the good occasion. And they start from one gig here and there to a full tour, and then you find some problem. I, I, I always struggle with this kind of patience because you can read in their eyes that they're, they're thinking, but maybe I'm not good. And as you said, no, you are a good singer, but... There's mm -hmm. something that is different from just quality. Yes. That is reliability of your uh, instrument. So when you study whatever, when you study guitar, when you study bass, when you study drums, when you study singing, especially when you study your voice, you have to learn how not to yeah. gain too much fatigue in your singing. Because once again, this is not an instrument born for singing. It was meant to do something else. We adapted it. Mm -hmm. It always works on 100%. So we have more than train your muscles in the larynx. So you have to learn your larynx. You have to start feeling your larynx and learn how to respect its necessities of reparation, restoration, and deflammation. But we could talk for hours on these kind of problems. That's why singers are always the, you know, the, the, the not funny ones in the band are the one that just sing, just sing and then disappear. Uh, I had party with the band, no, not the singer, he's not a fun person. He was trying to recover for the next gig, yes. probably. Yes. We call it prima donna in Italy. Oh, and it's course, something right? that is <laughs> all around the world. Yes. The prima donna, the main important female singer of the opera, had to rest her voice 
she couldn't party with the rich old man paying for <laughs> the opera. But this is what I talk to. I tell people this all the time, that being the singer is not a lot of fun. You know, the worst risk to your voice is going to be talking over the merch booth at the end of the show. <laughs> like, yet, exactly. you know, the loud show is pretty risky because you can never compete with the drum volume. And even though you have the in-ears, you know, you you could try to set up a better listening environment, but we know how that goes. It's a loud ass metal mm -hmm. show. And the crowd volume too is can be really intense. By far, most people, that's when they'll really start going downhill is the merch booth. I toured one time where my band was opening for Ed Guy, the power metal, the German power mm -hmm. metal band. And Tobias is a very clean singer, you know, and he was really perfect every single night of the tour. But... He did not party at all. <laughs> like we never saw him. He was he was not talking to anybody. And that I was very young, so I learned really fast. Oh, that's what you have to do to to be a pro singer every <laughs> night. Oh, you can't. Oh, you gotta like like not party. <laughs> so yeah, it's very much like that. And then of course we have the the exceptions like uh, George Fisher that growls like hell every night, then uh, starts singing with a beautiful, clean voice after the gig, and is <laughs> always speaking, singing, growling, and his voice is always perfect. So, um, okay, we have one on a million. Yes, there's always one guy like that. There, but there's always one lucky guy, and then we are us humans that we have to... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to manage uh, our numbers to just compare with them. Yeah, exactly. Because there's always one exceptional athlete. Everybody else had to go to basketball camp, you know. For that, <laughs> that's how I view it. Yes. It's, so it's like most. Of, I had a choir director in college who, I mean, he had this beautiful baritone blah, voice. You know, he didn't like contraltos. He didn't like people like me in his choir, but it was oh. a degree requirement. So. <laughs> But the thing is, is he he would be outside the center of the arts smoking Marlboro Reds, the strongest cigarettes you can get. I didn't get it, <laughs> you know. So I find it kind of random who gets like smokers edema and who doesn't. Well, uh, consider that with smoking, because for example, George Fisher is uh, a not smoker. He's a non-smoker. And I, I do believe that. That is one of his keys to stay healthy. Um, with smoking, the problem is that the damage is not linear. It's not linear, but it's exponential. So in the beginning, it may be something that you don't see and you don't hear. But then when uh, the rinkus edema, the, um, the smoker edema, kicks in, it's something very fast. You pass from being okay to there's something wrong to, oh my God, what have I done in a very short, short time. And that's probably the, the main problem that we have to in avoiding vocal force damage by cigarettes because you don't feel it so immediately like uh, other stuff that you can tell, okay, it's... Uh, is doing me wrong mm -hmm. with cigarettes and uh, actually um, also with alcohol um, it takes some time to kick in the problem in your uh, in your larynx but when they do uh, 
we struggle a lot to fix uh, the problems. The most of the time we can fix it, but we have to move fast and we have to collaborate with patients. It may sound possible, but I personally saw one person smoking from the tracheostoma. He had no larynx, so he was breathing from the stoma in oh the neck. Oh my God. So oh, he's pushing. smoking through the hole. I've seen that before. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I saw that. I saw it too. In, I, I can't remember if in South Park or Family Guy, but I, I really saw it as a doctor. Wow. I said, okay, they think they're making a joke. No, it was true. I saw it. And wow. it's crazy because you, you can't feel the, the taste by smoking through your neck. But uh, That is how addicting it is. If you ha- you don't even have yeah. a, larynx, a proper larynx already and you're going to smoke through the, the tracheal ah, hole. My God. My God. That's, that's insane. <laughs> I, I yeah. yeah, but I but it's like so for example, you have someone like Miley Cyrus who was very young, relatively young, mm-hmm. and she so she couldn't have smoked for that many years, but and so it didn't take very long and she got Reinke's edema really fast mm-hmm. as a young person. And then I had my sixty-five-year-old choir director <laughs> smoking the marble reds, and I don't know that he had the edema yet. And I and I it's it's so tough. You never. It's so random, and people are affected totally mm-hmm. differently. I mean, yeah. obviously, I think it's always bad to smoke cigarettes, but um, there's always that one guy where you're like, "How's he getting away with it?" You know, you know. But that is definitely not the guideline or the representation. You know, genetics is a bitch, uh, <laughs> and I call them. Uh, it is. Uh, the, yeah. The, the steel larynx. We have the steel larynx. People that never studied, smokes like hell, drinks like hell, and they still can sing in a good way. But we can't think about them when we uh, no, yeah. talk about the the average number of uh, of singers. It's like boys comparing their their penis with uh, porn actors. Again, respect your larynx, and it will respect you mm-hmm. probably. Matt Barlow, the singer from Iced Earth, the former singer of Iced Earth, he did an interview once and he he said people were like, why don't you party with us and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, well, would you take your guitar to the bar and pour beer and cigarettes all over it? I like that. I thought that was a really valid point. That's essentially what you're doing (laughs) with the voice. So so you talked about Mm -hmm. your basic warm ups that you'd be doing, but do you rest your speaking voice a lot on tour? Do you do any like physical working out before the tour to prepare your body? Are you going to be doing some things? In yeah, mm-hmm. I uh, I usually spend more time warming up my body, more time than my voice. I see. I, I'm not a, a huge fan of long warm up for the voice. We usually use the reverse relation. If the longer the gig the shorter the warm-up. Yes. Otherwise, the warm-up is uh, itself fatiguing your voice. So I usually do three or five minutes of vocal warm-up, but a very longer body warm-up with stretching and uh, so on. But most of all, I try to modify my diet when I have a long tour because when you have a, a, a long tour it's gonna be three five weeks with a very short and intense 
physical activity, but for the rest of the day, probably you're going to rest. So you have to modify the intake of carbohydrates and proteins and fats, most of all, reducing the quantity of carbohydrates that you're going to eat. Otherwise, you could be kind of unbalanced and moved on inflammatory system. Of course, nothing too crazy. I just decrease a little the amount of calories, uh, eating less bread and eating more uh, vegetable proteins. Increasing the amount of proteins and reducing carbs. But in the morning after the show, usually I rest my voice. I see. By doing the most beautiful thing in the world, sleeping. I try to sleep as much as I can. <laughs> in the morning uh, while the bus is traveling or if we are traveling with a, an RV I usually take the, the the driving of the morning I woke up I stay still and silent and then I start gradually to speak and sing again for the for the night that's what I usually do so I allow my nerves to recover but what I always suggest to everyone, most of all, is not to test your voice if you think you did something wrong or you did too much. Usually when we are scared, oh my God, have I damaged my vocal cords? And maybe... Right, testing it out. <laughs> yeah, but it could be the chance to damage your vocal cords. Ah, mm -hmm. Because if you feel that you are tired, if you feel that you're done something wrong or too much first of all give some rest to the system because uh, it's a very special guitar that can repair itself so <laughs> give it the time to repair and then the next day test your voice if you can of course but not immediately do not challenge you to prove that you're still here probably you are here but uh, testing your voice immediately, if you're lucky, it leads to depression because you, you hear that you, you cannot sing anymore and then in the, the next day you can sing again. But if you are not lucky, uh, you could damage your vocal cords by testing it in a, a bad situation. That's the only advice, special advice to the kid. But my routine, as I told you, is uh, physical exercise, reducing calories uh, and carbs, uh, essentially. And, uh, of course, uh, avoiding partying every night and resting my voice. But when I am uh, at the merch stand, and, of course, I am the one that stays more at the merch stand because you are the singer, you're going to sell more. Mm -hmm. That's true. But uh, I, we are not on camera, but you can understand if I say, Ah, I see. So you're just sort of like I mouthing. am Italian. I can sell everything just using my hands. So it's not a problem. <laughs> but this is true. You're using a lot of nonverbal expression to exactly. communicate rather than yelling over the actual crowd. Because a lot of people don't realize when they're speaking loudly that they are actually slamming the folds oh, of because of the uh, the lack of touch sensation. So mm -hmm. it's very easy to be like, yeah, man, thanks. I really appreciate the show. You know, like it just gets really tough. And then a lot of times, too, we have earplugs in at the merch booth. Mm -hmm. So we're even more likely to project because we're not hearing. We're hearing through yeah. that 
occluded volume and it's a whole lot. That's smart to be like, just make hand gestures <laughs> and kind of mouth. What I find that I, I'll just try to minimize the amount of time, maybe take 30 minutes after the set to rest and then come out to the merch booth and then not stay there and super long, you know, and uh, hopefully when I speak to people, I just try really hard to reduce the volume. And so I will get very close to people, actually, which is hard now that we had the pandemic. <laughs> but yeah. I used to be obsessed with hand sanitizer on tour before that and because you have to if you're going to reduce the volume you're going to lean a lot closer to people you know and get in their space a little bit but yeah the pandemic make it even worse because people cannot read your lips now oh well because uh, people cannot read your lips uh, but again you have to come to italy spend some time here talking with your hands and you will have no problem in selling your <laughs> Trust me. I love it. I talk with my hands quite a bit, actually. I, I'm I'm sort of uh, some of my friends in the music industry. They've noticed that, you know, they'll joke with me about that. But uh, I'm not. I have never been to Italy. So <laughs> when we're looking at vocalists that are younger, that maybe are going on their first tour, you already offered one piece of advice, which was kind of to rest a little bit more. Do you have any other like w two or three most important things that they should focus about if they can't really think about anything else? These are the one or two top things they should focus on. Less alcohol as possible. Better if uh, nothing. If you have to drink, drink few beers. Nothing special. Do not get drunk. When you get drunk, you fuck the world system. And then you will need a lot of time to recovery the wall system and your body will not concentrate on your larynx to keep it healthy because it's gonna be focused on prepare your liver as they say is more important i do not agree but okay they say. Uh, <laughs> so drink as less as possible smoke as less as possible and sleep as much as possible these are the three main advice that I can give. And of course, eat healthy. We we are, a lot of time I see people telling me, is this good for my voice? Is this good for my voice? And they show me vitamins, integration, and stuff like this. Yes, they can be good, but we already have it. It's called Food, real food. Yes. Yeah. Fresh fruit. Food with nutrition. Fresh vegetables, um, a small amount of, of meat, a good amount of fish, and you're going to get everything you need. You don't need integration. You need not to intoxicate yourself with fake food, with something that reminds your mouth food, but actually it's not. And uh, it's very fast, the effect on your larynx. The bad ones and the good ones. If you eat good and sleep good, you will gonna hear your voice leveling up almost immediately. Because we wow. are always repairing vocal cords. Vocal cords are a system that is always repairing itself. The whole larynx is always repairing itself. So if you give it the instruments and the time to recover, you are gonna recover. If you work over its abilities of repair, then you're going to have problems. 
And it's not yeah. going to be 1 plus 1. It's going to be 1 plus 10 plus 100 plus 1,000. It's going to be a huge problem. This is great tips of advice because I think a lot of times people are way overcomplicating it in their mind. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate some simpler tips, especially, again, with some from someone as knowledgeable as yourself, because vocalists, of course, are the main overthinking musicians <laughs> of all musicians. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, there, if there's anyone who can overthink it, it's a vocalist. So. <laughs> True. Thank you so much, Enrico, for being on the podcast. I really sincerely appreciate you and sharing your knowledge with us. It's going to be one of my most fascinating episodes. And um, Thank you. we'd love to have you back sometime for part two. I'm going to try to come out to that tour and see you guys play when you come here. So... Oh, it will, it will be a pressure. That wraps up this episode of the Voice Hacks podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. 